we don't think them enough. I pray that um, as we dig into this passage, help us, Lord, to not just understand this one mother's heart, um, but all mother's heart, and even more than that, your heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so context, right? We're, we're here in Mark, and Mark is um, a fast-paced gospel. It's one of the four gospels. It's the second, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's the shortest one, um, but there's a speed to it. He loves the word immediately. Immediately this happened, immediately this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. It's like bam, 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 bam. Things are happening quick. And this is where we are in Mark, Mark chapter 7. But right before that, I think it's pretty um, good to go over kind of what goes on in the chapter before. Um, actually, I have a map, actually. Can you show the map really quick? So in chapter 6, we're in this little area, that little body of water right there, called the Sea of Galilee. And this is where, um, right around there is where Jesus fed the 5,000. Really uh, popular story that a lot of people know. This is also where Jesus walked across the water. He crossed across Sea of Galilee. Um, but in chapter 7, he starts to move. In the beginning of chapter 7, he's still in that area. He talks about this idea of what is clean, what is unclean, what is defiled. And he talks about um, food going into the mouth is not really what makes you unclean, but what comes out of the heart. So that's that parable. And the disciples, of course, they're like, what, what does that mean? We don't get it. So in Matthew ch- or Mark chapter 7, verse 18, this is what um, he responds. They're like, Um, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And so we see this idea of the heart being um, what makes someone clean unclean. Um, I guess something that can confuse us is that I think nowadays in modern era, we see the heart as like, the center of emotions, um, but really back then they didn't really um, separate the heart, the mind. It's like the, the source of life, right? And so it is who they were is, this art, is the heart. So really um, what makes someone clean or unclean is who they truly are. Who are they as a person? Who maybe in, maybe in today's um, modern vocabulary be like, who do I identify as? Regardless of who I look like outside, who I am, am I a Korean American? Am I an immigrant um, second generation? Am I this, am I that, what I do as a job? But who am I truly? That is really what makes someone clean and unclean. And then we had Jesus, oh, the, the map, if you saw the map, and then you go northwest, Right, on your perspective, northwest, that's where we end up in Tyre and Sidon. And that's where we are right now. What's notable about it is it used to be, this is like, look, 1200 BC, Asher, if you don't know, is one of the tribes of Israel. So when the Israelites left Egypt, they're about to go into the promised land, Canaan, right? This is one of the areas that um, was allotted to uh, the tribe of Asher. Thing is, by the time we read it here, it's not considered part of Israel. 
kind of remember some uh, key um, person from that area is this woman named Jezebel, okay? And Jezebel um, was the queen of one of the kings of Israel, um, King Ahab, and she's one the ones who per, uh, persuaded him to introduce the worship of Baal. And in fact, she's the one who went against Elijah, Elijah and Elijah, um, I don't know if you guys remember, there's like, oh, you do this fire, do this fire. And then all these, like, guys, like, try to, like, make fire come, but that didn't happen. He's like, put water on this fire. And then all of a sudden he prayed, and God allowed um, that altar to go on fire. And so she got mad and she, because he killed these Baal priests, and then she came back and killed all these um, priests of God. And so um, ever since then, they really haven't been able to conquer the Canaanites. It became part of... Uh, the Gentile land. They've been bitter enemies. This is right now the modern modern Lebanon, um, that area, Tyre and Sidon. I keep on thinking the math's there, but it disappears. But so just leave it up there because that's really my only slide. It's just that <laughs> and nothing else, right? Because it's really important where this is. This is actually the only time recorded where Jesus actually leaves the the ancient Israel. Okay, the only time. The whole time he's in Israel. Um, and then he finally leaves, and it's kind of interesting because we, we see him with, with uh, when he feeds the 5,000. Actually, right before that, he sends out the disciples to go out by twos. They're casting out demons. They're pro- proclaiming the repentance of faith, um, the, um, healing people. And so word gets around, and so that's why when they try to go to a desert place, all, like 5,000 men plus however many women and children come and see them because obviously they're like, wow, we want to see you. But that's within Israel. They're looking for some respite. They're looking for some rest. Jesus wants to give his disciples some rest. So they end up going to a Gentile land. They know that the Israelites would not follow into them because that is an unclean place. They're bitter enemies. Even right now, to this modern day, they're still bitter enemies um, in, in that region. And it would be um, even like maybe even like modern Korea, right, where it, it's really hard to cross those borders. You just don't cross those borders. They're ha- highly contested. And so Jesus does, though, with the, the 12 disciples. And um, looking for some rest, as it says in the text, um, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. But, of course, he is found out and kind of like, Today, as true today as it is back then, even in the darkest of places, you cannot keep Christ hidden. He will be revealed. So that's kind of the big context. I think it's really important to understand what's going on, what they're doing, where they are geographically, and um, to really understand what is going on here. So I have three points. That was just a quick intro. A mother's approach, submissive before Christ. A mother's appeal, satisfied with crumbs, and a mother's, a mother approved, um, showered with charis. Kind of want to keep the um, alliteration going. Um, charis means grace in Greek, for those that don't know. So a mother's approach right now. The text tells us that Jesus leaves that region into um, Tyre. It's about a day's walk, about 20, 30 miles. So they walk over there. Um, and like I said, it is the land of Canaan. Matthew actually has a parallel 
passage in Matthew chapter 15, and he calls out this woman as a Canaanite. Here it's that hard word, right? Syrophoenician by birth. She is a Gentile. There's, there's all these markers of who this woman is. And not only is she um, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, this Canaanite, she is the mother of a daughter with not just a demon. They had to make sure to let you guys know that the daughter of an unclean spirit. Okay, so this woman is the least person, if you have a checklist of what you shouldn't, who you shouldn't be in order to approach Christ, she checked all those boxes off. She would not enter into the deep nominations, right? Nope, 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 none of it, okay? She's not the right person, and yet here we have this amazing story of her approaching Jesus. She had no right to approach him. But the amazing irony of this story is that she's actually the one that recognizes who Jesus truly is. That he is the Messiah. That he's not just this earthly, normal man king, but he's the Lord of Lords. And so we see that in her response. She comes to him truly submissive. And what is... what? How do we see that? She, she comes down at his feet, prostrate, bowing down, completely just humble. God, imagine this woman with a daughter. We have a lot of mothers here, may, and all of us are, are, are children of mothers, so we know the mother's love, the mother's care. If there's anything wrong with us, how much is the mother going to heartache we heard a lot of these little children saying, my mother loves me, just purely just loves me. I love that answer. Just my mom loves me. That's what makes her so special. Doesn't matter who I am. Doesn't matter any of my mistakes or any of my faults. My mom just loves me. And here this mother has this daughter who has some evil spirit. We don't know what's really what's going on other than that. But we can imagine that she was not right. She wasn't able to do whatever. She is probably going crazy. She didn't even bring her. She comes by herself, truly empty-handed. And she comes to Christ. She must be at her last wits end. She is desperate. And she's heard of this Jesus is in a Gentile land. In Matthew, she recognizes, Lord, son of David. She recognizes that Jesus is the, son, the, the Messiah of the Israelites that they've been hearing about. We actually are going in, in children's service um, through Joshua. And what's interesting, we just did a thing on uh, a sermon on Rahab. And Rahab mentions she's this, she's, um, uh, this prostitute that some of the spies uh, talk to and find. And she's like, we've heard about your God. And we are trembling. Please save me. And in a similar way, so that they've heard of Canaanites know of this, of these people, of this God in their history. And here she herself recognizes that Jesus is there. This one moment, this is her opportunity. This is her chance. What mother would not take that one chance, regardless of how humiliating it will be, that she is willing to submit herself, humble herself, and come before the Lord with nothing at all. And what makes really this passage 
so fascinating to me, well, two things. We'll talk about the first right now is how Jesus addresses her. And you heard it, right? He, he, you can't get around it. Jesus calls her a dog. Now, we, we, we love dogs in modern society. We love dogs. But I think it's pretty clear you call any female a dog, it's, it's an insult, right? It, that's, you don't, we just don't do that. If you're a proper, respecting man, woman, you don't call women dogs. But here, he does, and even back then, dogs were even considered lower, right? These are just scavenging dogs. Just They rarely had them as pets. They're scavenging around trash. The Israelites consider them unclean animals, and a derogatory term towards Gentiles, since Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, are unclean. They're defiled. They worship Baal. They don't worship God. They're like dogs. So they commonly called the Gentiles dogs, and here Jesus does the same thing. He calls them, or calls her, a dog. Now, again, that's why I wanted to go over that context. He just told a parable of what makes someone clean and unclean. So I think we have to remember that. Like, why would Jesus call her a dog? I thought he was sinless. I thought he was loving. I thought he was caring. How many today people today, if we met, I always wonder about this. Like, if Jesus walked in the door of a church I was going to, my church, would we receive him? Or would we call him a heretic? We're like, this guy says he's God. Get him out. He's crazy, right? Um, but even the some things he says, if Jesus came to you and says, hey, um, first, uh, we wait, what did it say? Let the children be first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, calling them dogs. Jesus called us a dog. What would we say? How would we feel? Would we, would we be in offended? How insulted would we be and so we know that this woman comes with great humility and true submission that even when being called a dog it does not um, dissuade her from still begging and even that's the word that they use she begs Jesus please heal my daughter you only beg when you don't have anything. You only beg when you have nothing that you deserve, when you've lost it all, when you have no other avenue for help, you're going to beg. It shows this great desperation and realization that you have no other avenue, so you must submit yourself and just hope and pray that someone is going to help you because you cannot help your, your situation. So, I think, just kind of bring it back a bit, Jesus, I think, calls her dog to highlight that she is unclean. And the disciples are with him, and they didn't get it before, what it means to be clean, unclean, what it means to be defiled. And he's like, this, here's a dog. You consider her a dog. You would never have left Israel to go find this person. You would have never left Israel to help a person like this. In fact, in Matthew, 
the word beg comes up, but it's the disciples who beg Jesus to get rid of this woman. They, had n- they wanted nothing to do with her. Get her out. She's a nuisance. She's a dog. Get her out of here. And Jesus calls her dog to highlight the fact, this is what you guys believe. She is not worthy to come to me. She is not worthy for, to, to be healed by me. And yet, we'll soon see that he will heal her. The woman comes with this humbled approach, completely submissive to Christ. And I think the most fascinating thing is the mother's appeal. This mother's appeal, she is, she is satisfied with crumbs. Do you see the invitation in this, in this phrase that Jesus gave? I think a lot of us would be so offended, we would have missed the invitation. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. Where's the invitation? Did you hear it? The word first. Wait, right? You guys, there was this, what's it, Jim Carrey in um, Dumb and Dumber. So uh, what, what do you think my chances are? Uh, not good. Like, like not good as in like one in 100? More like one in a million. And he's like famously... So you're saying I have a chance, right? And she hears this word first. It's like, that means there's a second or third or fourth, whatever. It doesn't care. I don't care where the order is. But he didn't say never. He said, first let the children be fed and not, yeah. And she's in her head. Yeah, dog, fine. Because even the dogs get the crumbs. That fall out the table. Many of us have dogs. My daughter loves dogs. We know that dogs do not complain about anything that falls off the table. In fact, you got to make sure that things don't fall off because you know that dog will eat it up. No problem, no complaints. They are completely satisfied with crumbs. And yet, how many of us, right, if we, Pastor John just went over the ians, and one of the first ians is, I am the bread of life. It is his word that we live on, and yet we have this great feast here. How many of us just leave it collecting dust? Not even willing to take the crumbs, let alone the whole feast laid before us. And here this woman, all she wants is a word. She does not bring her daughter. Only one of two instances where Jesus heals from afar. Both times, Gentiles. Never were the Israelites faith enough where they can say, oh, we don't even need you to touch them. They would bring the sick to him. Lord, all you have to do is say it, and that is enough. Just give me the crumbs. That is enough. She she is so ready to take any position, understanding that if he is truly the Lord of the universe, I am not worthy to be in his presence, but I'm relying on your goodness. I've heard of a good God 
who is merciful and loving. And so if you are willing, please heal my daughter. That's all I need. Now, one thing that is kind of lost in translation is that word dog. There's actually a lot of, there's a lot of uh, commentary on it, but the actual word for dog is this, again, maybe this Greek last, kuon. But here, he uses a kind of, um, they call it a diminutive form, kind of like a kitty version, kunarion, which means little dog or puppy, which he doesn't use in other areas where he does talk about um, dogs being unclean. You don't give what's holy to a dog. He uses the formal word kuan. Here's kunarion. So we see also another little bit. And so this woman, in a, in a great battle of wits, so to speak, she catches on that, and she turns it around. Yes, he says, we don't take the food for the children and throw it to dogs, but look at what she does. She brings herself into the house. She makes herself a pet of, the Je- of Jesus she, because not she, he says, throw it to dogs. She's like, but yes, even the dogs underneath the table eat the crumbs. In order to be underneath the table, he is not a stray dog or she is not a stray dog. She is a dog that he has taken in. Lord, take me in. Let me be inside your house because inside your house is better than anywhere else, even if I am to be a dog. Very similar to Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather take the lowest position possible within the kingdom than be anything else outside the kingdom. She brings herself in. I remember... My wife and I, we, we met in Eritrea, and there, right outside our place, there's this, like, uh, abandoned house, or be, a house that was supposed to be constructed, half-constructed, and then someone gave up. And that's kind of where, like, the stray dogs would, like, do their MMA match, I think, because you would just hear every night, like, like all these dogs just going at it. Um, and then these local little kids would take um, a litter every so often, and they'd come to our door and sell it for, like, a dollar or two, and we're like, a couple of dollars, fine, we'll take a couple, right? And so we brought these stray dogs, unclean, dirty, but because we brought them into our house, they became like little cute dogs, right? Very furry, nice, and they, be, they were part of our family, Coco and Floppy. Um, St- Stephanie still has an email address named cocoandfloppy at gmail.com. Okay, email her. Um, but yeah, we brought them in, and here the same woman, she flips the script and said, Lord, because she humbled herself, because she was ready, she said, Lord, allow me to be inside your home. Just a quick aside, how many of us, if we're to preach the gospel, if we're to evangelize, do we first get offended by what people say, that we stop evangelizing and we start arguing? How much better would it be if we said, fine, I am a hypocrite, you're right. You're right, I am a sinner, you're right, I'm not perfect. God still loves me and he loves you. Here's your invitation. Let's go together. How much more of wit will we have? How much more winsome will we be if we had the same humility, same submissiveness of this woman? And understanding also that even a crumb is worth more than not anything else outside of his, his kingdom. 
Now, remember, Jesus just fed the 5,000 just a chapter ago. It says in, in that text, I should read it, Mark chapter 6, that everyone was satisfied. He says, 42, chapter 6, and they all ate and were satisfied. And yet they still didn't understand. The disciples still didn't see that this was the Christ, the Messiah, of not just the Israelites, of the world. She came truly empty, nothing to offer, seeking for just the word of Jesus, a crumb that falls from the table. And she was left with so much more. A mother approved, showered with carrots, showered with grace. This Syro Syrophoenician mother, tough word, Syrophoenician mother, found herself approved, accepted. Jesus heals and showers her with grace and says, your daughter is healed. And not only that, it's interesting. As, as you kind of read the Gospels, they kind of have these parallel stories, and some add this detail or keep out this detail. Matthew actually commends this woman's faith. He says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. And just like he's only um, healed someone from afar twice into a Gentile, again, same thing. I think it's the same instance. It's that centurion, if you guys remember, he commended centurion's faith, who is a Gentile. And here he commends this Gentile's faith. I think we have to... Take notice, when Jesus himself says, here is a woman, here is a person, doesn't matter if she's a woman or man, child, adult, whatever, she has great faith. What is it about her faith that is so great? She finally, she recognizes when everyone doesn't, Just by a word, God has power over the spirits, the natural. God has power over her. God has power over and every, over anything else that she's probably gone to and found nothing but empty promises and false hopes. R.C. Sproul says this. The good news is that in the overflow of mercy and grace that comes to us from the hands of God, though we should be satisfied with crumbs, he is not satisfied with giving us crumbs. He has lavished his grace upon us. Jesus approves this woman, receives her into his household. But here's the great, amazing part of what God does is he doesn't keep us under the table where we deserve or even out of the house where we deserve, but he places us at the seat. Jesus has um, a parable of wedding feast. We celebrated a wedding last night. This church has been blessed with so many newlyweds all over the place, and we know, and we're all part of, been a part of some wedding. We know feasts 
Wedding banquets cost a lot of money, right, to have good food, have great parties, have good music, to have your friends and family come from left and right to all celebrate this coming together. And Jesus talks about the wedding feast prepared, how the father prepares a wedding feast for his son, sends out invitations, and no one comes. How ridiculous is that? All this food has been ordered. And so what does he do? He says, go to the streets and bring as many people as you can. And they fill it. Strangers, seemingly, but now brought in as family. Sharing in the jubilation. That is a small picture of what that final feast will be. I love that imagery. He has invited us to the greatest banquet in the world. Do we recognize that? How many of us here understand that we have a seat, that our names are written right there on that card? But we don't show up. We're like, oh, whatever. I'm busy. I got this to do. I got that to do. If you don't know Christ, one of the beautiful things is God allows us to bring as many guests as men. And guess what? Your name will be written there too. That's the amazing thing. Come, please, to the banquet. If you don't know Christ, talk to me, talk to Pastor Charles, Pastor John, any of us. We will share with you our seat. There's plenty of food to go around. And if you tasted even the crumbs of Jesus Christ, oh, man, I cannot wait for that feast laid before us. I hope that we understand just how much grace is being showered upon us. I guess I just want to finish with, um, yeah, mothers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, even our own mothers. We all have mothers. How much many of us know of a mother's cooking? Uh, so many children talked about food. Right. And I get it. You know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of my like, oh, my goodness. Am I just a chef to my family and like laboring over the kitchen? And not all of all, not all mothers do that these days. Some fathers do cook. But what a privilege it is, though. I know sometimes it could be underappreciated. But food plays such an important part in the Bible to God, to the Gospels, to Jesus. We once a month, sharing communion. And guess it's bread, right? It's maybe not, doesn't seem physically satisfying, but we understand that that's partaking in our union with Christ and being fed by his word. That truly is a crumb that we are being satisfied with. But I also want to encourage the mothers, but also encourage the fathers to come alongside, Right? For the more important food, the word. How many of us are starving our children of their spiritual food? How many of us are withholding even the crumbs from our children? And we can even go beyond that to the spiritual family. Even if you don't have your own blood sons, blood daughters. We are all adopted into one family. We are all called to be spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers of the greater church. But how can we feed if we ourselves don't understand the amazing, delicious crumbs are actually great 
feasts that the Lord satisfies our souls with. So, if God gives the Syrophoenician a crumb, would he not also give us the same crumb, the same feast, even more so? Or to put it another way, he who did not spare his own son, will he not also give everything? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you receive us as we are. Who are we to even come before you to be so bold, but we depend upon your goodness that even though we have no right to come before you, you will receive us not on our standing, but on the righteousness of Christ. And you will not just be meager and give us um, just droplets to fend off the crumbs from the table, but Lord, you sit us as we are your own children to enjoy the feast laid before us. May we see that. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.